boys continue their pilgrimage through 2020 hell year. We're the pod people, and I'm the cock of the flock, Matisse Van Rossum. You know, last week I addressed myself as a little panicata. That's my old rap name. I actually go by uh, Young Lamb Chop now, so uh, please only refer to me as Young Lamb Chop. All right. My name is... Cleveland Mosier, and uh, I've done this one before, but sometimes I just can't help myself. I'm going to need y'all to come out and slam, and welcome to the lamb! <laughs> also, I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way. Come on, y'all gonna join me? You're not gonna join me? Oh, I was going to do pod people, let's, let's go down. Oh, and well, then it was going to be good. It was going to lead up to, you know, pod people going down to the river to pray. And we're going to going down to the river to pray for better movies from the rest of this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, true. we watched a couple of 2020 movies last week and we had our complaints about them. But we have more in, this week. Yes. <laughs> and those movies seem like super unpretentious, straightforward movies in comparison to this week. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't give too much hindsight praise to Sea Fever and uh, what was hey, the other one we watched? At least they're not the platform as the platform, pretentious but... as these two. Correct. Well, uh, yeah, this is part two of our 2020 mid-year catch-up curated by our own Cleveland Mosier. Yeah, but... Last week we uh, I hadn't watched any of these before I picked them. I'm of just, course, just, please. That's, that's I, why. That's why I we're need, catching up. I need to reiterate that. <laughs> Clave, last year we talked about the perfection and Greta. Oh like, God, the bar is so low oh. for these. And the year before that, Ben and I talked about Winchester and Insidious: The Last Key. Wow. The bar, okay. The cool. bar for uh, good. The bar for mid-year catch-ups tends to be very low. <laughs> do you yep. think? Do you think any? this year were as bad as like Greta or the Perfection? No, I don't. No, I don't. I really I, don't. I will know. say that. And uh, let's move into talking about these uh, these next two films. We're going to start with uh, the 2020 release, The Other Lamb, directed by Malgorzada Zumauska. Yeah, not The Lamb. The Other Lamb. The Other One. Not yeah. to be confused with the first one, but mm -hmm. it's The Other One. Yep. Uh, the film stars... Uh, Raffi Cassidy, Michael Houseman, and Mallory Adams, and it's another cult movie about a spooky cult that uh, uh, cults are bad. Hey kids, do you like atmosphere? Cause I mean, I do. Like, I, I I legitimately do love atmosphere. This one got me like Sea Fever did, where the trailer looked really interesting, really really intriguing, and then the actual film was kind of disappointing. I'll I'll be the first to say it. I'll be the first to make a Hagazusa comparison. Oh, it's I was going to compare it to them that followed. I will say that I think both of those movies that y'all just listed are better than this one. Really? <laughs> yeah. I... Them, that, them that follow for sure. Hagazusa. That's where I'm wondering because like Hagazusa I, marginally. I feel I feel like this had more substance than Hagazusa. I actually agree a little bit. This movie is a very beautifully shot movie. It's bloody gorgeous. Yes. Um, Literally. Part of what I think attracted us to it from the trailer. Like mm -hmm. it is it is really lovely. It it has the same kind of air as like the recent string of like indie art house horror 
Midsommar, stuff like that, The Witch. Good of you to use the uh, word string of movies. Yes. This film does feature a lot of string. A lot of ambient string. Mm-hmm. And yeah, used but... in really interesting ways. Oh, yeah. Like, I... I really love how they kind of build spaces with the string, like how they put it into like a almost like a corner, you know? Oh, their, their chapel. Like, yeah. It's like a, mm-hmm. just like a square of thread stretched around four trees. Yeah, I, I will say right off the bat, big ups to the production design in this movie because uh, all, I thought all of that was great. Cinematography team, the art team, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't need to yarn on about it. Well, we're going to well, yarn on about some other things. I, I do want to talk about, you know, you compared it to movies like The Witch or, you know, modern art house horror. And that's how it presents itself. I don't yes, think it's analogous. Yes. I, I do not think well, that it's and truly that's the thing. I think the differentiating point between those is The Witch has... Stakes? S- yep, some sort of narrative force behind it. <laughs> where this stakes? movie Char- characters? <laughs> yep, stakes and characters A story? exactly. Where this one it almost feels like Nicholas Winding Rain. Yes, dude. I was thinking about that this whole movie. I bet that Nick Reffin loves this movie. Yes. I, Nick, Nick Wingdings Rain. Y- yes. It definitely has that very deliberate pacing. And very long, pregnant pauses where you just uh, sit on people's faces for a long time. Well, and- careful now. You don't want to be doing that too much. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, Only this movie doesn't consensual. feature any people sitting on faces, unfortunately. But uh, maybe yeah. it's for the best. I don't know. You're you're right, though, comparing it to, <laughs> to Nicholas Winding Refn, though, because... Similarly, it's a lot of just, like, slow shots looking at people's faces, but there's nothing happening on those people's faces, which is one of my biggest problems with his movies. I'm so glad we have yet another chance to talk about how much I hate Nicholas Winding Refn. (laughs) So long, like, sitting on characters' faces where you would expect to, like, really have a chance to, like observe the subtlety try to gauge their their emotions you know yeah, chance for catch, some really catch that good little, that little nostril flare that moment when their eyes you dilate. know a chance a chance for some like subtle acting mm-hmm. but instead it's just blank face just thousand yard stare thousand yard stare uh everybody in this movie does the kubrick stare which head, to be fair head they, down eyes up just they, constantly they all have good motive to that, I don't think that's enough. Well, yeah, but okay. like there is, they do have like legitimate reasons for you having know, a thousand yards. I there. think one of the big problems I have with a lot of the cult stuff in this movie is the actual religion element of it is so threadbare. You know, you really don't completely vague. Feel like you understand why any of this is. And I mean, in fairness, some cults are like that, where it is just a cult of personality. But at but the same what pers- time, what fucking personality? The shepherd doesn't have any personality exactly, at all. You know, and I mentioned earlier them that follow, and with that movie, at least we get to see the religious aspects of it, so we can kind of be pulled into that world, and so and we can understand it, and so we can see why our protagonist starts to feel like disillusioned and disenfranchised from it and why like there's an actual like struggle with faith in that movie and this movie presents those same events 
but like devoid of substance for yeah, any of them. Like the 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 only character trait that the the shepherd has going for him is, is that he's rapey. Well, he's rapey, and he looks he looks like a like a Marvel hero. He's got that like post like Disney poster boy looking. You know about who him. He, you know who he looks like? He looks- he's the sexy dwarf from The Hobbit. Oh no! I was gonna say uh, dollar store James McAvoy. Interesting. I guess I see it. I get oh, the man, facial I, hair it, and the fucking eyebrows. He looks he looks fucking just like James McAvoy and a little bit of uh, Lin Manuel Miranda too. Uh, which while we were watching this, in order to entertain myself, I tried to come up with a uh, combination of their names, and I got uh, Jim Manuel McRanda. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what I'm going to call him for the rest of this episode. But that's that's one of my biggest problems is like... He was on Game of Thrones. Cult movies, who is he in Game of Thrones? I don't know. I'm trying to find that out right now. I'm he very... is uh, extra number seven. Yeah, he, right. he was on from 2011 to 2019. Uh, he was probably one of the ancillary Stark characters if I had to yeah, make a guess. He, he looks like a Stark. Slave number 14. Slave number 14. <laughs> Man, cult movies have been done to death, and uh, there have been some really good ones lately. No, he's Dario Naharis. Which which one? Because that that character has two actors. Oh well, you guys talk the about, one that he is. You guys talk about Game of Thrones, and my eyes just glaze over. Let's, <laughs> let's I mean, get back to the movie. I'm about there too. Like I was saying, the problem with this cult movie is that from the get go, everything is sinister and menacing. And it never changes. It's just dour and and quote unquote creepy the whole time. And I think effective cult movies, the cult leader has to have some kind of charisma. There has to be some kind of levity. There has to be something that like attracts the people to the cult. That like brainwash, you know, that that level of brainwashing. And it's like this guy is extremely rapey and he spends the entire movie like glowering at people and shoving his fingers in girls mouths yeah and i found myself asking for the entire movie why was anybody drawn to this man in the first place like where is he's got those abs it's like he's he's a very he's a he's a very beautiful looking man. Like he's he's a very attractive man and that's that's it. That's like I I don't understand like you very uh well pointed out Ben there's nothing behind like the religion. It's like there's a little bit of ambient world building with like hearing them saying their prayers and it's all to to the shepherd and not God and it's all like vaguely sexual uh, and like I thought that that was like okay, that's interesting. But well, that's the thing. What, the first fifteen minutes builds a lot of that. Yeah, and I think that was the best aspect of the movie when they you know first started it and they introduced that stuff. You know, you had that great sequence where they're all sitting at the table and one side is all of the women in the blue. And the other side is all the women in the red. Mm-hmm. And you immediately know that there's a distinguishing factor between the, the two sects. Yes. So it's a it's an all-female cult except for uh, the shepherd. Uh, the women in red are the wives, and the ones in blue are the daughters. To, to unfortunately go back to Game of Thrones, it's a Craster's Keep situation. Yes. Yeah, we don't know what happens to the 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 boy babies. Probably, 
probably eaten or something. Well, we kind of find out later when there's a a boy baby born, and then the most interesting character in the movie promptly takes the baby and disappears from the rest of the movie. Do you feel like she didn't really have the air about her of a cult person? Like, the way she talked was very, like, normal. Like, whereas the others, like, had that, that, like, sister so-and-so, you know, like, sort of vibe, you know, I've, I've been, uh, wifely in my duties, sort of stuff, like, she's just like, man, yeah, this and this, and I, like, it was very, like, 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 very regular. For her, I, for her, I don't mind, because she's the most disillusioned, because she's, Mm -hmm. as they call her, the cursed wife, you know, she has some scars that, uh, he has ambiguously given her sometime in the past, he calls she, her a broken yeah, thing. She, and she has to go live in the shed, you know, like, she's the one who sees through, like, his mystique and only stays because she doesn't have anywhere else to go. So for her talking, like, dropping the whole, like, culty facade, that's fine. That's why I thought she was one of the more interesting characters, because she seems like one maybe point of relation with the outside world that, like, our protagonist can kind of reach out and touch. But that's also really underdeveloped, you know? Like, Speaking of the outside world, there's very little in this movie to ground us in general. Totally. Um, We have one scene that still is kind of baffling to me. I'd love to hear you guys unpack it a little bit. Is the scene where the car is driving by while they're walking alongside the road. And she sees the car driving by. And it seems to be her in the car yeah i think i think what that's supposed to be and that's actually one of the parts that i thought was actually interesting in this movie i like that part i i think that's supposed to be uh because it comes after one of her many times asking about her mother who has supposedly died in giving birth to her she doesn't know her mother and nobody ever really talks about her it's always just like oh yeah your mother was beautiful just like you you know uh and then so it's after that she there's a lot of dream sequences in this movie and like yeah she sees herself in the back seat of the car like wearing a high school letterman jacket um with like uh the shepherd driving and like uh, this other woman who's presumably her mother in the front seat and like looks out the window and sees the flock walking along beside the road and then she kind of like switches place thought that was intriguing nothing really comes of it i think i would have liked to see a little bit more of that yeah i agree like it was essentially her um seeing the cars you know like the car driving by as they were like they're trudging along and her imagining herself there and like the the sudden fear of realization as the car like passes and carries on down the the lonesome road that there's there's no escape for her i would have loved to see more of her like actually trying to get a taste of, like, the outside world, you know? Like, try to establish some kind of point of relation with that. Cause yeah, it, she should have tried to live deliciously. It would, it would, like, it would actually make her arc interesting, because we're told multiple times in the movie that, like, of all the daughters, she's the most pious. She's the, the most sure in her faith. But we never see anything to suggest that, because from the very beginning of the movie, she already seems disillusioned. Yeah, it seems like the complete opposite. Right, exactly. And I think more so than that, you know, 
it's one of those things where I think the filmmakers are trying so hard to be restrained, limiting what you see. Yeah, that it becomes vague. Yeah, you totally. Know? Well, the yeah, the issue is like we're we're left uh, because the the beginning is so ambiguous. We're 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 driven to wonder what lies beneath the surface, and when what lies beneath the surface is essentially what we could have already deduced, which is the cult is fucked up. Yeah, we we knew that it's a cult. Like, and, yeah, it's, and a, I think it's that's, a white, it's that's a white sort of dude the, with a messiah complex who wants to who wants to fuck his kids, right? Know? And like, that's the, the the issue is like that's uh, that's assumed. We went in assuming that the title, well, the other lamb, it's a cult. Like you, you see, you see the opening shots. They're a cult. They're all women, like except for one guy. Uh oh, problem. We know this going in. So to still give it that framing of of mystery. As we unravel, like as our main our protagonist like unravels the truth of it, there's no truth to unravel. Like well, we, we've already seen exactly. It. That's why I would have loved to see, have the movie start with like some like nice things, like to make it seem like life is good in the cult. Yes, because we're told multiple times that these women are happy, that they love the shepherd, that they trust the shepherd, you know, that that when he holds them, it's like, it's perfect, I never want to be anywhere else. Like, we're told all of this, but there's nothing to suggest this is actually, like, a nice place to live. Yeah, they have, like, the one scene in the chapel where they kind of, like, shout out their problems, but... Yeah, there, like, there's even such that's spooky. a distance... To, yeah. you know between the audience and all of the characters that you can't sympathize in a lot of ways because they're not really shown with any sort of depth or dimension you yeah. know I think everybody's completely one dimensional yeah. in this well, movie I think yeah that's that's an, that's almost a catch 22 because uh by some means that is also the premise like they're they're sort of brought up and enriched in a culture of well many of absence. them have been born including the main character have been born mm. into the cult right and so, so like the 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 vapid quality there i don't mind but it is a problem in that it makes it kind of difficult to relate with our characters because like yeah. there's they are they are living in a simple environment I don't and like mind and it being, is honest in that i don't mind them being brainwashed like that's that's you know par for the course when it comes to cult stuff but still there should be something likable about about the shepherd there should be something magnetic about him there should be something that like draws people to him i think of uh i i don't think you've seen it yet cleveland but like a good recent example is like uh chris hemsworth's character in bad times at the al royale yeah like yeah he's a, a kind of like charles manson hippy dippy cult leader and we see him do very cruel and evil things by the end of the movie, but also he's very laid back. He's easygoing. He's fun. You know, you kind you can't help but like him, despite like the mad, creepy shit that he does with his cult. And I think that that's you look at like real life cult leaders throughout history, like Charles Manson and Jim Jones and fucking Heaven's Gate and like. There was something about these people that intrigue. like that, that yeah there's intrigue and this guy is so sinister. Yeah. Well, He's and the so thing is sinister. too, you know, like I feel like cult leaders have two poles. It's either, you know, very charismatic cult of personality where the actual substance of what they're saying doesn't matter as much. No, it's right? all about the and idolization. On of the them. other, you know, and you have the super devout 
you know, where like they might not be the most charismatic, but they are so focused in the piousness and belief of what they're saying that people follow. The grifters versus the zealots. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And like this guy definitely seems to be more of the zealot type, but even so, like we see him giving one sermon and it's just total a fucking total snooze fest. We never really know if he believes in it, in it himself. Well, it seems likely that he doesn't. It seems like he's obviously just one of those like weird sociopaths who wants to have control over a bunch of people and like fuck whoever he wants, like a lot of cult leaders. But you know, like still, it would be so much more interesting for his character to have an arc of going from, like, charismatic, magnanimous cult leader to, like, maybe being questioned by, like, the cursed wife. She's the only one who ever calls him by his his real name in the movie once, you know? After the, the young girl, like, dies in childbirth, you know, he sa- she says, this is... Be, this has happened because of you, Michael. And, like, you see for a minute, like, how much that pisses him off. And, like, I would like to see more of that because that's the first little bit of emotion, the first and only bit of emotion we get from him the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh... Well, and, you know, even on the flip side, you know, it's not just their relationship with him. It's their relationship with each other. Yes. You know, we really don't get much out of that you know they have scenes where they you know try to bond these characters but very little is said and very little connection really seems to be made between these characters yeah that it just feels empty and you don't really buy that they're you know living super communally well and all of the other women seem like super sinister too like everything is fucking menacing in this movie for no reason uh like the the scene where they're at the camp around the campfire and like the pregnant girl is like fucking staring down the the protagonist with like this creepy smile on her face like why does she why does why does every person in this movie need to be menacing? Right, like why even, does everything have to be menacing? You're absolutely right. I think a little a little bit of levity would have enhanced the horror a lot. Like I would have I would have been a lot more terrified and concerned uh, for a protagonist if I'd had some opportunities to to love a little bit more. They're and, supposed to be sisters and daughters. Like they should have like familial camaraderie, but like every every discussion just revolves around the shepherd. Right, like, we, we as an audience never feel roped in to the cult. This movie doesn't pass the Bechdel if, test. If I want to, if I want to, uh, uh, uh <laughs> sorry, that's, a, <laughs> that's getting me. That's the, pro- that's the proper response. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, uh, if I'm going to believe these people actually want to stick around in this cult, like, I'd, I'd like to see some reasons, too. And I would, I would like to have gone into this film and being like, uh-oh, it's a cult movie, and then found myself slipping in and being like, oh, you know, it's not that bad. It's really nice. And just giving me a second where I feel comfortable and happy and safe before that's pulled away from me again. Like, yeah. and I just feel uncomfortable the whole time. Like, uh... Well, it's like, look at, look at something, look at something like Midsommar in comparison. Right! Where, like... It looks like such a great time you, when they get you there. Fucking, you fucking know going into the movie, if you've seen the previews, like, you know it's a fucking cult movie. 
you know there's going to be some, some be some spooky cult stuff. But yeah, and they when leave they, you waiting for a they, while. When they first get there, these people are super nice and for a, a little, long time. A little weird, but very welcoming, very hospitable, kind, friendly. You know, and then also surprisingly like, modern surprisingly modern and then also like when the creepy shit starts to happen when bad things start to happen they're able to still convince these people to stay because they're able to talk them into it's like oh it's not like i know it looks weird to outsiders like it's not that big of a deal you know like they're drawn in and you as the viewer are drawn in too enough that by the end like when you see danny like obviously brainwashed and like taking her place in this new family that she's been deprived of it's like yeah okay i get it you know i get it <laughs> yeah because there's something to get there's something like there's something to get and and I, I i feel bad like ragging on it to that degree because like uh i think i think our protagonist like is a compelling character and i and i think like on paper she's she's even more compelling like the concept of like coming up in a cult like that and like being afraid of your womanhood coming is is quite powerful and it's been done but like it it's it's very real and it's something that like has been problematic throughout history and throughout like uh cultures um i was making several like leviticus like jokes while we were watching the film as well like uh oh like she sat down in a chair you'd better burn it now you know oh, got to bring two turtles to the temple like like there th- these are problems yeah. that were like are like endemic in our culture in our own religion well it's one of those vaguely christian cults you yeah know. well right. i think what's most disturbing is you know it's her coming into age and knowing that her father is going to take is, her is virginity. going to rape her. Yeah. yeah, right. Here's a question. And that's horrifying. I, yeah, it is horrifying. like, and, and and that's that's what's so strange about like our our previous round of critiques. And that's what I mean is like on paper, like that's wretched, and it is wretched, and like like on on screen as well. But to have something already that is just so primed to be compelling be as empty as i think well, like, it, it felt is it, it's rough man i like, think it's so restrained in you know pulling punches that i almost wouldn't consider it a horror movie i've been thinking the same thing you know i i'm okay covering it for the podcast obviously sure but it's a horror movie by like the loosest definition it's almost a thriller it's i like, would just John- say it's a bleak drama you yeah. know like it's bleak situations, but there's no sense of tension mm-hmm. right. through the movie. And, and keep in mind, too, like, for our viewers, like, listen to our episode on The Mockingbird. The Nightingale. The Nightingale. <laughs> uh, you can leave that in. Um, uh, <laughs> as, as, I got the name wrong, but I do love that film. Yeah. Uh, and, like, that's a horror movie. Like and it's it's very much so like a uh, I, I guess just what I'm what I'm getting is I, I think that like I do definitely think that like there's a horror film in this plot yeah. like like absolutely without making any large changes I don't I don't need the shepherd to be like a, a monster bigger than the screen I at all uh, and I and I don't need to see things in gratuity either I just well this need- movie this movie is so atmospheric and it. 
I felt it doing or trying to do a lot of the same kind of stuff that like the witch does, you know, like I think that you're right that there's the potential for a horror movie here in its atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of like very like dark, creepy, spooky stuff like these the stare downs she keeps having with like the ram uh, or like when Very she, witch. or like when she falls asleep uh, on the hill when she's supposed to be watching the sheep give birth, and she wakes up and finds the lamb like skinned. And I love that. I thought that was like, very yeah, well done. I, I thought so too. And and, and that, that, that contra zoom of her falling asleep on the mountainside, gorgeous. Yeah, and I mean, well, like we said, the cinematography is beautiful, and mm-hmm. I think that there is, I think there's a lot of potential for atmospheric horror in this movie. The problem is that all of the characters are so one-dimensional and everything is, like, so restrained, like Ben said, that it's devoid of Mm -hmm. stakes. And I just found... I Like, I didn't find it tense. I just found it, like, bleak and and kind of a drag throughout, you know? The Witch is such a great comparison, too, because of, uh, it's, it's a great, actually a great contrast to the point I brought up earlier, like, in, in that, like, Thomason also grows up in that same, like, vapid, empty sort of environment that only has religion, and Thomason is a very compelling character. Absolutely. She is, like, just incredibly intriguing. Like, well, they, all of the characters in The Witch are. Right. All of them. The whole family. Yeah. And, yeah, they're, and, and they they see, like, as much screen time. And and nothing that Thomason does, like, doesn't break, period. It doesn't, you know, like, have any need to. Like, just her playing peekaboo with the baby, like, is enough. Because it, it, there is, like, a, there's a bright moment there before, yeah. like, the baby is taken. And, uh, yeah, you really feel something. It's that same concern where, like, if I can use a kind of obtuse metaphor, I think one of the things that made like like Pink Floyd's music really magical was like the difference between like Roger Waters' like really earthy, strange sort of like tones and like vocals and then like uh oh shit, is it David Gilmore and his like like astral synthy sort of stuff. And when you have that, you have like the clouds, you have the atmosphere, and then you have like Roger Waters bringing you back to Earth. And so you have, you're, you're taken on, like, this musical journey. And there are a lot of films that do that quite well where they, they pair atmosphere with grounding, you know. And, like, the, the Witch is a wonderful example of that. You have your swelling choral stuff and these shots of trees bending. And we're taken off into the stratosphere and then we're brought right back down to Thomason and, like, her, her local plot with her family. And here we, we almost have that. But whenever we're, we're brought out into the stratosphere, we're only brought down for a moment. And it's never for anything, like nourishing enough you know like it's it's never uh we're never we're never given like any more sustenance than what we 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 need like it's it's bare bones in that respect and before we're sent back out into the clouds yeah this is becomes nebulous and dreamlike again this is one of the few movies that i would argue might be helped by like more dialogue yes (laughs) like i i think that like everything is so vague that like some some character moments would be really really nice like between any of these characters like i would like to see some interactions you know like the witch is a very dialogue heavy movie that's how you get to know these characters and it's like uh all you don't know anything about the characters in the other lamb other than uh they look spooky at each other right like we get a very tiny amount with our protagonist's uh, like uh, redheaded friend 
as well. Like they're friends, but we we don't get too many opportunities seeing them being friends. And well, they're, they're, supposed, are, they're supposed to be uh, presumably their sisters. Sisters, yes, like, of course, literally sisters. And if we had just been able to to see them like out and about running in a field, having a good time, pushing each other over, you know, giggling about it, like literally anything. Yeah, literally anything. Uh, to make that scene when she said, like, when the the shepherd is calling to her and her her sister says, "Don't respond." There would have been so much more built behind that yeah. because we would have seen why she cares about her so much. And I I think we we did need that. I, I think that that um that would have really brought brought a lot more um tension to that that already tense concept of a scene. <sighs> oh well. Do you yeah. mind if we uh talk about the ending? Yeah, let's let's do that because that's a pretty big disappointment, huh? Yes. Yes. Well, I think that is the perfect uh, summation of my problem with this movie mm-hmm. is, you know, it's trying to be mature and restrained, but in doing so, it removes any sort of catharsis or release that you would have in this movie. Yeah, there's a- there's absolutely no climax in this movie. Yeah, you... A climax happens, but we don't get it. (laughs) It happens completely off-screen is the problem. You know, we get the lead-up to that point. You know, there's a a sort of almost confrontation, you could say. And then it cuts to the aftermath. Yeah. And what a fucking aftermath to not see. It is a very cool aftermath, I will say. Yeah, well, to provide some context... The majority of the quote-unquote action in this movie comes from, like, early on, the cops come and tell them that they can't be on the land anymore or whatever, so they have to, you know, kind of go on an exodus to find, like, a new Eden or whatever. So most so most of the movie is just them fucking walking. Um, but, you know, over the course of the journey, some stuff happens, like the one girl dies in childbirth, and the shepherd wants to leave the baby behind because he's a boy. He is like cruel and beats that one, the one girl who like suggests that she might see something in the distance that they should check out, you know. So it's like we kind of see the women starting to maybe be like, uh, well, maybe this, maybe he's not, uh, maybe not so good. This guy, <laughs> uh, our 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 daddy husband, maybe he's not, maybe he's not good. Um, Can I just say actually on, on that point of of them like going on their exodus is I was a little concerned when that happened, and I think my concern was validated in that like so far the most interesting character of the film by that point was the setting, and then yeah. they leave that they leave that behind. And oh, I was yeah, I was enjoying exploring the compound. I was I was enjoying like seeing like that their their chapel was like a, a bounding of string around trees. Like that's cool. That's a really neat idea. G- give me more of that. Let yeah. me explore more of their compound. And nope, time to leave. And now the the any any ground again no grounding. Like we don't we don't get an yeah. opportunity to explore like that with them. Right. And then at the very end, you know, they get to they get to their new Eden or whatever. They start setting up their new commune. And then off camera, the shepherd uh, murders drowns all of his wives. So he can then marry all of his daughters, and did, did did he convince them to to drown themselves? Did he just drown them? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And then our protagonist like walks up to him and 
And so I completely forgotten what she even says to him is like, you're not a shepherd or something. You're not my shepherd. Yeah, you're not my shepherd. Right. Uh, and uh, then he kind of like slight lightly slaps her across the face. And then, like you said, Ben, it cuts to the aftermath of the cops like finding all of the drowned women like in a in a riverbed. And then which they, looks great, which, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's very true detective it's, it's evocative I, yeah and then you know this very evocative shot of them finding the shepherd like strung up between a couple of trees with uh, ram's horns uh, attached to his head and that that was cool I would have really loved to see like the movie build up to like that and not just like cut to it it's like totally devoid of catharsis also just because like i don't fucking care about anybody in this movie so it's like you see the aftermath and it's just like uh okay i guess i guess so and then the last shot which i thought uh i think we all laughed at how fucking hackneyed that was with them like uh panning down to our main character with the other girls behind her and she's holding a lamb but the this lamb is black and it goes and cuts to credits <laughs> yeah the sound the lamb makes just does not fit that, no it's <laughs> it's it's, it's way too stereotypical and i've heard bleats that are are much more like I don't know, like genuine sounding, but this is this is really like the sheep goes, uh, cut to credits. Yeah, like yeah. You know? <laughs> they could have easily just not had the lamb make any sound. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know. And also, it's like it's such a pretentious last shot, and mundane, too, because it's like. It it really is like just shoving in your face, like oh, she's the lad, she's the other lamb, it's her. She's the other one. And, and you know what another lamb is? It's a black sheep. Oh, shit. Oh, she's the black sheep. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I, I guess it's like, now they're a Satan cult? Yeah, is she, what, like, what's what going to happen? What are they going to do now? Is she the cultist now? Starve in the woods? Is she the like, new shepherd? Yeah, they're all, most of them are kids at that point. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, they they were raised, like, in an environment where, like, they're basically living in the woods off of very little. Like, they could they could probably well get by it. I don't think they, they definitely don't need the shepherd to survive. They don't but need like, no man. Like, right. <laughs> uh, like, like to, to be very fair, but uh, it's it's still not, not really a great living. Uh, right, and also, like, we see her obviously, like, having some kind of fantasy about, like, joining the real world and like seeing what what the real world is like there's like but she also has a fantasy about like joining the woods and like the theme of the like uh, one of the running themes is that that song that's talking about like babes in the wood right and like like being and then dying in the trees being one with the wood you know like going out and talking to black philip in the woods and uh is sort of the vibe i got from that i guess i guess they're they're now just they're they're pagan Instead, I, or I don't know, and and they're just going to keep being a cult, or yeah. are they going to find civilization? What are they going to do? They don't need. I guess they don't need to. But like, mm, I don't all, know. I, all I have to say is that I personally don't care, <laughs> uh, and I want to. I and I really can't say that enough. Is like I don't. I don't take personally. Like when I when I say that, like, cause I, or at least I feel when I feel that, cause I, I agree, like I don't feel like compelled with these characters. I say that with a lot of frustration because I really want to, I find cult stories fascinating. Um, and I, I'm usually pretty roped in by them and, uh, they're, yeah, they're, uh, I tend to keep a lot of those like pretty close to my heart and there's, there's a lot of good potential in this film. 
And uh, no, the the more we talk about it, the more the more sort of perturbed I am. Yeah. Well, yeah. why don't you why don't you rate it? Oh fuck. Yeah. Uh, are we? Are, I guess that's we're rating. What we do here. We do, don't we? Damn. God damn. The visuals are so good and. Like, no, nah, man, like, Far Cry 5 has way more, like, like character <laughs> development. It really does, too. I, I'm not even, like, I, I, you know, I, I say that as a joke, but also, like, with all seriousness. Like, if you're into games and you like cult cult stuff, that's not a bad place to start. Like, they, they just But also, like, video games are long-form storytelling as opposed to short-form storytelling. Like, it's it's a different beast, but I see what you're getting Very at. different, and it's, it's, it's a Ubisoft game. It's, a, it's not... It doesn't have the same amount of class to it by any means, but they did their homework at least. But anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into I, I won't have any other opportunity to talk about it, so I'm not going to. But my rating, uh, yeah, uh, I enjoyed the the symphonic score as well. I, I like a good violin. Um, uh, nothing too. Oh man, we didn't talk about the score much, but there were a couple weird music cues. Or they had, like, there's a one where there's vocals. a folk song, and I thought yeah. that was a little strange when they pick up the yeah, the shepherd. Yeah, that one in particular um, was it didn't, weird. It didn't feel too too out of place because like a lot of those cults and stuff like popped up like in the '60s and like that sort of like style of folk music like fits loosely. But again, many of those like groovy '60s cults like had a lot more personality to them. Fuck, rating pods. <laughs> how many? How many visuals? Good. I like those, as our our dear dearest listeners know. I, I do I do love a good visual. I love the premise, and I again I think if I just sat down and read the script, I would have adored it, and I wouldn't have seen much wrong with it. And and that, that's why it's it's difficult. It's really difficult for me to say. But I need to say I need to say something. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give a three. But I'm gonna give a point five on that three. I don't know. Should I? Mm, three point. Mm. Three point five seems extremely generous. It does. To me. Three. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a three. I'm giving it a three. On talking about this movie further, it's oh, it's almost just emphasized my negative feelings towards it. Same. Uh, <laughs> you know, Likewise. it looks nice. Uh. You know, it's well shot. But there's really nothing to grasp onto, and god damn is it pretentious. God damn is it pretentious. You could make so many cult movies and give it a little bit of personality, and I can bear with slow burns, you know? I don't oh, yeah. mind I love slow a slow burns. burn. I tend to prefer I don't mind slow burns as I get older. Uh, films, you know? I don't even mind pulling punches sometimes, but you have to make us feel like you earned being able to pull a punch you know especially with an ending like that i'm gonna give this i was gonna say two and a half but i'm gonna give this a two i I, i'm just so frustrated by this film yeah all i will say is that uh i wish that this movie had a story and characters to match the, the cinematography and the production design um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a two and a half. <laughs> pretty, pretty boring overall. Uh, well, that'll give the other lamb an average of two and a half out of five pods. See it or don't. I don't care. Um, <laughs> And 
And now to move to the opposite end of the equally vapid spectrum. Yeah, because we're, we're still, we're, we're not leaving vapid territory, but we're definitely going to the far reaches. We're definitely going to the opposite end uh, from <laughs> this movie. This, this film is vapid in all the other ways, in so many different ways. And what film is that that we're, we're, we're going to talk about next? Teams? Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Blood Machines, uh, which is a... Uh, I hesitate to call it a feature film because it's not really. No. Uh, it's it's an extended music video written by Seth Ickerman, directed by Seth Ickerman, edited by Seth Ickerman. Special effects. By Seth Ickerman. Production design by Seth Ickerman. Produced by Seth Ickerman. But not starring. Not starring. Rather than starring Seth Ickerman, it stars a handful of bad actors. Yes, it does. And uh, it is, as we mentioned, an extended pseudo uh, music video for uh, French synthwave artist Carpenter Brute, who uh, fucking rules. Yep, I love <laughs> Carpenter Brute. And I gotta say, I've been looking forward to watching Blood Machines for about six months. I've been wanting to watch this for a while, when I found out it had come out, I knew I, we had to cover it on the uh, on on the the, the catch up. Like I I was very keen on it. Y'all were uh, hesitant for reasons I largely agree with. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my fears about this movie were confirmed largely, and uh, I'm <laughs> I'm a little bummed. Uh, I I wouldn't have changed anything in hindsight. I still would have picked it, but. It's a weird one. It's it's pretty vapid, uh, but goddamn, well, it looked good. In in terms of context, let's uh, let's back up. And yes. you know, this movie uh, was originally a kickstarted Kickstarter funded project. It got well beyond its goals. Um, and it's got it's got budget for it, sure. It I believe it kickstarted up, twice. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, it also got picked up by Shudder, which is, you know, where we watched it. We watched the Shudder cut, which is actually split into... Three parts. Three parts. Three episodes, quote-unquote. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying that this, you know, is a Carpenter Brute extended music video, essentially. Well, The yeah, problem I have really with accurate. it is there's not enough music. Yeah. yeah. I, I wish it had just been that, honestly. I would, I would have been much happier if, if it was 50 minutes of music video. See, I don't mind a visual album. Yeah. I can, or, I can or get, even, I can get down with a visual album. Yeah, I think, or that, even like a, a music video esque film, uh, or or a musical or anything like that. I love those. Like the wall is my jam. I think they tried to squeeze way too much story into this thing. Yeah, and I, it has very very little story. Um, yes. I, I, that should be emphasized. Also important to note is that they describe this film, the the makers, as a sequel to the music video for uh, Carpenter Brute's Turbo Killer, which is a pretty fucking cool music video. Possibly my all-time favorite. Like, um, it Also directed and all of the shit by Seth Ickerman. Like, that's how this whole thing got going. But it's like... like if you're not familiar, go watch that. It's, it's, it's rad. Yeah, it, <laughs> It's a know, very cool it's, music it's video. Like, it's like an homage to, like, 
80s film and music, like weird sci-fi grindhouse uh, kind of shit. Yeah, you it's know? it's cheesy as hell. Most like, of it is a is a woman dancing in a in a uh, glass prism. Fast while, cars, gas masks yeah, with glowing uh, eyes. Yeah, while like, a guy in a glowing gas mask drives a Trans Am yeah. down the the road. Yeah. It's it you know it's weird spaceship cr- cross things. It's cool. It's cool looking. It's fun. It's it's aesthetic, and that's it. And that's all it needs to be. Well, yeah, because it's a fucking music video. Yeah, it's a music a music video. The visuals are meant to serve as an accompaniment to the music, whereas a film the the music is an accompaniment to the film. <laughs> and like they tried to do that with Blood Machines, but couldn't figure out how to split the line, so it. It, yeah, it, it, flips, it can't pick a lane. It flips back and forth between like really, really bad room level bad but, story. You know, honestly, it doesn't seem intentionally so. It no. doesn't seem like they're doing it in like a tongue in cheek way. No, no, no. It no. seems like they're just inept at directing actors. Right, which Correct. is so weird because like when you're doing like an 80s aesthetic, you're just begging to have intentionally poor acting. Like that if there was and, ever an environment where you could get away with it, it's it's this. Well, I think a big problem with it is that most of the actors are very obviously not native English speakers mm-hmm. and they deliver their lines like they were coached on how to pronounce them phonetically, but they don't actually know what they mean. Like that it's it's that kind of delivery, and it, it's it is yeah, like beyond stilted. It is it is like almost everybody in the movie is Tommy Wiseau. You yeah, know like the, I, the the protagonist villain character, the the guy in in a, in the suit. I, I've seen like better performance in performances in like high school productions of Our Town. Like it's <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. I y'all. honestly wish they would have gone with like a Giallo route. And just have Agreed. them speak their native languages and dub, and over, dub it. over it. Yes. Because yeah. that feels very of the time more mm-hmm. so than just this stilted, weird acting. Yeah. And the thing is, we should mention the the first two episodes, two thirds of the movie is story, I guess you could say. <laughs> With some with uh, with a couple of musical interludes, but, yeah, uh, and it's if it's tough to say story <laughs> there because it's really threadbare, you know, it's paper thin. It's, it's setting. It's a vague. It's a vague like pseudo narrative about like an AI like gaining consciousness in a body and like then flying through space while some people chase it it's i couldn't like break down the plot of this movie if i wanted to like it's uh, the, the film doesn't really encourage you to to want to either like it's it when when your actors like don't don't really seem to be like giving it like caring that much that they're on set and like the directors couldn't be bothered to like direct them well enough to to deliver their lines with any degree of care like uh then then like why the fuck is an audience member should i give a shit well like what what i'm gonna do is i'm going to read the short synopsis of the story (laughs) from the uh blood machines website seth ickerman describes this as a story about two space hunters are tracking down a machine trying to free it pause what the fuck is a space hunter is somebody are you, who hunts in space? You're hunting. Are you hunting space? What? What you? What hunt? 
do you do? What what hunting? Uh, hunt b- bounty? Not bounty? Because that's they're a space, word already. They're space hunters. They're hunters? In sp- uh, yep. Uh, they're, they're tracking down a machine that's trying to free itself. After taking it down, they witness a mystical phenomenon. The ghost of a young woman pulls itself out of the machine as if the spaceship has a soul. Trying to understand the nature of this entity, they start chasing the woman through space. Now that, uh, mm. that's the end. Um, they, that, they leave out a very crucial and unfortunate yeah, see, detail. Yeah, see, that's, that's very vague uh, when they say trying to understand the nature of this entity. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, very, that's a very generous way because of... Because that's not accurate. What's more accurate is trying to fuck this entity. Yeah, he wants to fuck the space <laughs> this machine. This is a very <laughs> horny movie. Extremely so. Which in, in like, I don't mind in in. Premise in this, but in like, practice, in this I definitely like the mind. Sleaziest and grossest kind of horny. Like I was very uncomfortable. It with feels very objectifying. Yeah, you know, it absolutely. Feel, uh, and not in a way I was trying to hold a lens on. Yeah, it well, and not to say pornography is bad, but you know, all aesthetics without any substance behind them is just pornography when you're showing, you know, nudity right. like this. And, and, yeah, and there's a lot of nudity in this movie. Yeah, and it it doesn't feel earned. It just feels kind of sleazy. Yeah, for me, it's it's interesting. Like, there's there's a lot of fine art that does that too. Like, there's a lot. Like, like Bougaro is a great example. Like, a lot of his stuff with like the dryads and whatnot. It's just like a whole sea of just like naked ladies and stuff. I see what you mean about like like the like a like a, a pornography comparison, and, and I think that that's. Like, I think a lot of people had uh, the same things to say about heavy metal, like, in the 80s as well, for for that reason. But we should note that all women in this film are not shown as people. Yeah. You know, they're either aliens or robots or celestial, you know, entities. Well, right. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. And that's That's what what makes it even even more sleazy is, you know, they, they pull all sort of humanity from these figures to the point where they're just naked objects. Right. Well, uh, like the one like mystical machine priestess that like the, the main villain anti-hero, I don't know what he's supposed, I don't know how we're supposed to view him. He's despicable, but I don't, I'm not sure how the, I'm not sure how the movie is trying to portray him. I think I really do think that he, he the film is trying to portray him as a villain it's just it does such a does a poor job of it because the the actor does such a poor job of portraying himself in any way well and because that, like is, but like he gets killed off in the way a villain would get killed off for being a sleazy evil guy well, in, in in weak right writ, weekly written material what's frustrating to me is his uh crewmate the older guy yeah the guy who kind of looks like udo kier is supposed to be sympathetic he's slightly sympathetic but he enables the, the, the sleazy evil guy. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. He well, enables, and, you know, he doesn't get a very particularly good ending either. No. Well, uh, my my point was that, like, the, the machine priestess or whatever, like, there's this awful, awful sequence where he, like, captures her, even though, like, I might have just zoned out and missed this, but, like, she and her other, like, warrior priestesses, like, had him and the other guy captured, and then all of a sudden, like, 
it's the other way around and he's talking to her about how like he's been fucking robots for so long that he forgot how a real woman smells gross and like yeah gross. that's gross. Well, and, and also when it's delivered like I have been fucking robots for so long <laughs> I forgot how a real woman smells <laughs> it's like that's it doesn't make it doesn't make that it doesn't make that any fucking better yeah and you make it sound so much better than it is when you say it like that too like god damn that's I wish I wish it had been like like that um I'm it's it's the more boring equivalent unfortunately like and, and I know that's what you're trying to sell but god damn well I would like, like to I would like to play while we're on the subject of characters I'd like to play a little game oh uh, fun I love games because while I'm on while oh. I'm on the blood while I'm on the blood machines website uh, all of the the primary characters have uh, character descriptions on the website so I'm going to read each one of these and then I want you guys to tell me if you think it accurately describes the how the character is portrayed <laughs> oh, in the no. movie. <laughs> Okay, so uh, on the subject of our our rapey protagonist, uh, Vaskin, he is captain of the spaceship. Vaskin is a Blade Runner who tracks down. No, he's not. Who tracks down machines taken over by its artificial intelligence. In his 40s, he can be quite brutal as he takes pleasure in abusing and humiliating the machines. When the story takes a supernatural turn, his rational personality prevents him from having any fear. An ambitious and talented hunter, he will he will not hesitate to risk it all in order to reach his goal. <laughs> Have you ever been so horny <laughs> that you're risking it all? Have you ever been so horny that your rational personality prevents you from having any fear? Yeah, like, here's... Man. What fuck. does that mean? Like, I can, I can get down with the idea, like, of, like, giving, like, machine souls. Like, that's fun. But the problem is, is that really we see the film... In trying to do that, it does the opposite, and instead it just removes the soul from women. Yeah. Like, instead it's just, like, women and machines. Like, it just sort of, instead of, like, saying, like, wow, machines are, like, people. Look at look at how they're, like, these gorgeous, like, naked women. Instead it's saying, like, w women are objects is what it's saying. Like, right. instead. Yeah, and, like, yeah. that's... Just, like, they're yeah. fuck machines. Yeah, they're, bummer. They're, they're, they're bust machines. Yep. And that's that's... Come on, man. They're, like, <laughs> they're blood machines once a month. Womp womp. No. No. Womp womp. Is that why this movie is called Blood Machines? I've been trying to figure it oh, out. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought Bust Machines was good. And again, too, like, I like the idea of, like, this villain wanting to, like, fuck a spaceship. Uh, honestly, like, I, I say this a lot, but on paper, like, I love that idea. Like, of this, like, this, like, evil, sleazy piece of shit villain who wants to, like, yeah, I want to fuck a spaceship. Like, that's horrible and wretched. If I have, like, a protagonist to to key into as well, and the film actually has, like, female characters in it that, that, that are human, it could maybe work. I don't know. I, I, we'll never know. Maybe that's garbage too. Who's to say? But like, what I know is here, it does not work. Well, let's yeah. uh, let's move on. Yes, speaking please. Your next character of, uh, description. Speaking of women, uh, the next one is Mima. Present in Turbo Killer, Mima is the female ghost escaping from the machine, leading the space hunters' chase. 
she is a breathtakingly beautiful creature. No, Trans- creature. Transfigured no. by an unreal sensuality with graceful gestures. Man, Seth Ackerman is so horny. So horny. Yeah, I think he, I think he calm really, down. I think he, I think he, uh, uh, subconsciously channeled himself into, into the Vaskin character. Cause I think, I really think that Seth Eckerman made this movie cause he wants to fuck a ghost machine. Yep. And, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about, uh, uh, about Mima's portrayal. Well, in Turbo Killer, you know, she's just dancing in, in a glass prism because it's a music video and it's aesthetic. And she has a, for some reason, Seth Ackerman has like a, uh, an obsession with the the symbol of an upside down crucifix that does not really have any Christian mean- association. There's there's no meaning to it. Yeah, mm. like uh, it just feels kind of edgy. It's yes, yeah. exactly. And in the Turbo Killer music video, it's okay, whatever. Like they come down in a giant uh, in a big spaceship shaped, shaped like a, an upside down crucifix. I'm here for it's that. Cool, like it's fine and, and it, it, whatever. And there, it not making sense kind of makes it better. But but uh, but the, this AI Mima has uh, uh, the upside down cru- glowing crucifix on her forehead, but also on her pussy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about. Yeah, that. and lest we lest we forget about the 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 title or the the opening credits, which comes at the beginning of the second episode. So over twenty minutes into the fifty minute runtime of this movie is when we get the opening credits, uh, in which she is uh, slowly gliding through space while uh, these these men follow her set to Carpenter Brute and. Don't forget about that shot where the sun literally rises over her ass. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> if that doesn't yeah. if that doesn't tell you this film's philosophy, I don't know what does. <laughs> what a jiffable moment, right? Um, okay, so the next character is Corey. Corey is a strange priestess who protects the machines. Okay, I'm sorry. Hold on. I, I, I'm sorry I keep pausing you, but, like... Corey's like, in the house. This is... <laughs> That'd be a good intro too. Um, uh, <laughs> this character is not human. This is an alien, like tech priest character, like on well, this she could weird, be human. we don't know how far heavy metal like exists. planet. Yeah. You know, where they weird like it's like very Dune esque, and her name is Corey. Corey. Yeah. Well, Corey is a strange priestess who protects the machines. She leads a group of priestesses with an iron fist. Still, behind angelic features, Corey may, may hide a part of darkness. Again, with the visuals, yeah. Yeah. What does that mean, though? She may hide a part of darkness. You know, you know where, where, where these descriptions belong? That's my favorite belong? book, actually. <laughs> part of darkness. Do, do, do you know where these descriptions belong? They belong on the Men Writing Women subreddit. Oh, that is exactly right. where these need to go. Oh, my God, if they're not already there. And also, uh, there's one more character who I'll get to momentarily, but I do think it's worth noting that both male characters get two paragraphs of description, and both female characters get less than one paragraph both focusing on their uh, physical on, appearances uh, yeah, on their physical appearances <laughs> yep so uh the last one which is maybe the only semi-sympathetic character in this movie uh if i could bring myself to care about him uh is lago lago is the partner of vaskin in the spaceship 
in his late 60s with a big white beard and a face wrinkled by the passing of time. But, but, but. <laughs> that's just how wrinkles, that's just how age works. Yeah. Well, um, at least he also got a physical description immediately, but I'm not going to bat La- more than that. Lago is a veteran full of wisdom and empathy. As a mechanic, he looks after the machines and develops a special relationship with them. Lago is a sensitive man, inclined to spirituality. At the end of his life, he wonders about the afterlife. Well, I sure it sure makes sense that he'd team up and be paired with a sociopath who fucks and tortures machines all the time. Yeah. That makes perfect sense that they get along so well and like can just sit next to each other on a spaceship. Right. Yeah, no. For long hours at a time, presumably smelling each other's farts. It's amazing they get along so well. Like, Christ, Christ, what the fuck character writing is this? I'm going to read now some uh, some reviews that are also posted, or blurbs, rather, that are posted on uh, on the, the Blood Machine site, and uh, we'll see how we agree with these. Oh no! Wait. You know what? Even better. These are these are not even reviews of blood machines. They're all reviews of Turbo Killer. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck! This may be my favorite video of 2016, and we've still got over half the year to go. Like this is oh, the website for just them taking YouTube comments. Yeah. And- Yep. Well, they say that one's from Bloody Disgusting and from uh, Screen Anarchy and some other ones, but it's all, it's literally all uh, reviews of Turbo Killer, the fucking music video. <laughs> it sounds like Turbo Killer went to his head. Like, how many views does Turbo Killer have? It's it's in the multi, multi, multi mills. Like, it's. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, a ton, surely. Yeah, um, I want to look up just how many views it has real quick. Well, that's I think, the thing. I want to know, like, how much that went to his head. Definitely went to his head because. Because this movie is pretentious as fuck. Oh, it's got, yeah, it's got Oh my god, dude. Yo! Okay, sorry to, this is important. I got to the About Us section, and Seth Ickerman is actually two people. Okay, I'm gonna read the About Us. Yeah. What? We are two French directors working for more than 10 years under the pseudonym of Seth Ickerman. We started with the 50 minutes film Kedara inspired by the Matrix ex- Matrix's universe. Produced with limited budget, oh. Kedara attracted a large audience when we released it online. Since then, we worked on various projects as directors for companies like LG, Ubisoft, and Samsung, and directed the music video Turbo Killer in 2016 for Carpenter Brute. We are now developing our first science fiction feature film, Ickerman. <laughs> <laughs> oh god we it released all- <laughs> so much sense that they're french though yes because yeah. that just connects all the dots that were missing before yeah. well i figured they were french considering that like they're closely related with carpenter brute who is french uh but uh the last little bit we released online a proof of concept of ickerman early this year which did more than uh, a million and a half views online, so we might have to ch- see if we can find that. I love that they're naming their first feature film after their fake director name. name? <laughs> yeah, like pseudonym Ickerman. Man, I sure do love Nicolas Cage's performance in the Ickerman. 
<laughs> fuck man this like so much of the shit falls into place uh, well okay my i want to say my biggest problem with this movie is we should emphasize the runtime is like 58 minutes it's under an hour but it feels so long, long. because the thing is instead of a movie with music videos interspersed, it feels like a music video extended to feature length. Yes. Yeah. And it makes it feel like it's going at a snail's pace. Oh my god. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We rewatched uh Turbo Killer before we recorded to like remind ourselves of of what happens in that music video. And you very astutely noted, Ben, that there is more plot in a dialogueless four and a half minute music <laughs> video than in this entire film. Yes. Like they literally squeezed more plot into that fucking music video. Yeah, like Turbo Killer is just like zipping and zapping along like and you're like asking questions and you're getting answers they're nonsense answers but you're getting answers and like uh like we're we're constantly being introduced to new concepts and things what's this person in a gas mask what are they doing with a car who's this person what's going on whoa giant ship new things new things new things well, that's, and that's what i'll say too is because there's a time limitation there's such a push forward yeah there's momentum where with blood machines you have no drive to push things forward as fast as possible right because also like all we have in blood machines is the spaceships there are no cars in blood machines like like that's true blood machines feels more like an eight like it's set in the like the 80s it's like a it's a neo um, turbo killer you mean yeah turbo killer thank you yeah. sorry like yeah turbo killer feels like it's just like a retro electro 1980s like setting um and and also there's a spaceship like and the spaceship feels almost more like supernatural or something like like we we look around and it looks almost like 80s suburbia uh and they're all 80s cars but blood machines just looks like deep future yeah like it just looks like science fiction like like distant humanity so the timeline makes no fucking sense. Right. Well, I mean, that's it's this is not a sequel to Turbo Killer. It, right. it, like there is one of the act like an actress reprises her role and there's some of the same uh, like symbols, like literally just symbols that are devoid of meaning. They describe Blood Machines here as inspired by the spirit of 80s films and music. And I think that like. Turbo Killer does that way more effectively. Well, I think yes. with, the, with with Turbo Kill, Killer, since it's such a condensed time, yeah, you know, you push things forward, and there's there's a narrative drive to it. Where even though we don't get answers to much of anything in the music video, once again, because it's a fucking music video, exactly, they keep pushing things forward. Yeah. Where in Blood Machines. It moves forward more slowly, so you have more time to sit on what's going on and really view how it's just fucking vapid yeah, and nothing is design. really happening. It's just empty aesthetics. Yeah, when you when you give us a lot of time to sit and think on it, we can sit and think on how nonsense it is. Yeah, well, and like, I would even be okay if they just had long interludes with music, but a lot of it doesn't even have music attached to it. Yeah. Mm. 
And I think we we haven't talked about it much because we've been mostly just like ragging on how like baffling the quote unquote narrative and characters are in this movie. But like the visuals are insanely impressive. Yeah, they're righteously yes. cool, like extremely they, cool. Some like, of the newest I've seen this year. I will say, unironically, if you recently bought a 4K TV, this is Watch the, the shit out of perfect it. movie to test it on. Yeah, because the colors are so vibrant. Like if you have like one of those uh, high dynamic range TVs, this would be perfect for yeah, it. Yeah, there's no way I can't also, like not recommend it's, Blood Machines. It's like, a fa- it's it's a really incredible blend of extremely good practical effects and also extremely good CG. But I yes. will say, I will say, because there's no drive behind a lot of the aesthetics of it, it, be- it, it feels starts overindulgent. Yes, I could not agree more. Like despite how. Like I was very on board with this with this movie for I would say mo like even the first episode that we watched and but yeah like it it gets to a point where like everything is so hyper stylized that it start it loses its punch pretty quickly because like I I think we were all for the first ten minutes or so like oh my god this looks incredible yeah. like this is insane can't wait to stick around and, for this ride and it's like. 20, 20, 30 minutes in, it's like I have reached my capacity for, like, cool spaceships and, like, uh, neon gases and glowing things. <laughs> and, like, I, I can it's only... It's such a sensory overload it, yeah, the whole it, time. Yeah, it totally is. And it also, it's so there's so much of it that it stops being impressive because... It's overwhelming. Unlike the other lamb, which shows way too much restraint, Blood Machines is entirely a lack of restraint in just about every respect. Yep. And like that is why it overall left a really bad taste in my mouth because it's like it's a complete marvel of like special effects. And honestly, if it was dialogueless and just music to drive it, and like Carpenter Brute music too, who's like a, a legitimately great artist, it could have been like really entertaining, right? Or just if, like, if like someone else had written the script, right? But like like anyone else, yeah. If yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah. if this movie, like, because here's the thing, like the other Lamb, like we had some critiques, like about we had we had lots of critiques about the writing, but like we had solutions that I think that like the writers themselves could have handled, or at least on the next film or whatever. Like like that there there's competence. There was still like competence like in in the other yeah, lamb like in, sure. in elements of the writing like. But here, <laughs> well, like, yeah. I would just say like like my my answer to like uh, to to fixing a lot of the problems in movies get someone else to write. Stop. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, put the, put the pencil down. The, like the, like the special effects are incredible. Like the 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 shots and sequencing is is amazing. Get someone else to write. Yeah, the the collective of Seth Ickerman uh, should really stick to visual effects. The collective. Like, here's a question I have for you. I know I mentioned it earlier with the dubbing proposition. I would compare this movie to like an Argento in some ways in that it is very style over substance. But the thing about Argento is I feel like there is some substance in the style. Well, Argento has it's good... It's expressionistic. Argento has good plots. Like, Argento does, like, murder mystery kind of stuff. There's, the, you know, there's some kind of tension, some sort of narrative thread, like, you want to unravel the mystery, you want to find out who the killer is, you know? And a lot of that is, 
really heavily enhanced by an extreme hyper stylization. But I think you're right, Cleveland, is like if they had gotten somebody else to write this and act. And well yeah, and oh. act. Or or like go Ben's route and do it Giallo style and have the the actors speak their native language and then dub it over with different voice actors. Like that's a perfectly viable it's 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 weird, but it's it's a perfectly viable strategy. It's just it's so weird to me, like in an environment like where for us as like like small time like indie like game directors, like we get inundated with people asking for voice acting gigs. Yeah. Inundated. Like, oh, dude, there's so many voice actors out there, man. Like, like when it comes to, like, people, like, contacting, like, our studio for work and stuff, like, that's always the thing we get the most of is, like, hey, are you looking for voice actors? Here's my, here's my reel. And you know what? A lot of the time, it's a really good reel. Like, mm-hmm. like, there are a lot of great voice actors and actors out there in general who are, like, extremely competent. And so in this day and age, like, with the internet, too, like, it's, it's so much harder for me to, like, find, like, acting that bad to be excusable like it's it's just like you this but not was budgeted fun, but not fun either like that's the no thing. i know this thing is like bad cheesy hammed up acting can be great if you lean in yeah like, exactly like they didn't I, lean in i i loved i love watching tommy wiseau try to act it's but great. like in this Neil it's Green, something it's, like, it's just it just the whole thing it might just be because like it the whole thing just like has such a has such skeevy overtones that like i found it a little bit insulting in a lot of ways it's like i just i i couldn't i could not care about fucking any of it and you know unlike the last lamb it has a pretty quote unquote spectacular climax of uh this a giant space woman being formed from like uh, uh, a ship graveyard, and then like fighting the Corey like fights via interpretive dance. Yes, they uh, they go to a like a, a a space machine graveyard where the one ghost that has flown out across space Mima. is able to Mima is able to awaken the other ghosts, um, and then like are uh, which are all just carbon copies of her. Yes, and. Uh, um, of course, and another th- mention of their politics with women, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, they're they're all, intercha- women. all interchangeable. interchangeable. Yeah, rough, and uh, they all. Well, they you all know form what they together. say: girls like that have the best cross pussy. Oh <laughs> no! But yeah, wop wop. <laughs> There's the real wop wop. Mm-hmm. Wop wop. Uh, so uh, they. They fight the villain who's who's been loosely foreshadowed and uh, who appears, but we have no real reason to hate, you know, or, yeah, or anything. He's the, it's like the head he of wants some, some like, results. Space corporation or something, you know, the, you know, uh, yeah. He's in a big cool ship. His ship is cool. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what it looks like, but it, it was cool. It looking. was cool. Uh, it, was, it was very complex. Uh, yeah, like they all form together, and then much like the in in Carpenter Brute, like our. Uh, our our protagonist, she puts uh, what is her name? The, the, Corey. the Corey. Corey. How could you right. forget? Well, that's how she's uh, in the house. Yeah, she, <laughs> <laughs> Corey's in the house. Uh, she puts on the gas mask, and uh, for whatever reason, allows her to control all of them so that she can form a titty mech and fight the the bad guys through um, uh, uh, interpretive dance, which. I think on it, paper sounds really cool i think visually it looks really cool too like uh it, it's cheesy and it's dumb as shit but like so is the power rangers and maybe I love it. maybe like, if i maybe if i started watching 
that scene from the beginning to the end without the rest of it, mm. I might be able to agree with they, you. Because I was just they do war- it in Turbo just, Killer too, and I love it there. I was just worn out by it by the time it happened in Blood Machines. I was just tired. I was just ready for it to be done. Yeah, like I think, and I think that's that's a lot of the problem too. Is like Turbo Killer has all those other things going on and the interpretive dance stuff, whereas like the big finale of this is just the interpretive dance stuff, which is impressive and in many ways more impressive than like the singular interpretive dance because they got a whole dance team together to do it and i'm all for that i love like the use of like choreography and like ballet and stuff like in in films like the the nurse scene in silent hill is like a big favorite of mine i love 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 that still sequence need to see suspiria um uh, i really do and uh that's that's fucking dandy, but uh, there's a lot more going on in Turbo Killer once again. And in this sequence, it's it's just that. Uh, and also, yeah, the, the lead up doesn't really give us any reason to, you know, be as well, excited been, about it. I, care. We've, we've been overloaded by by that point. It's like I, by then I didn't I didn't care about the interpretive dance in the titty mech because like I've already just been bombarded by hyper stylized uh once again very impressive visuals for 45 straight minutes and it's like there's there's no ebb and flow you know it it, it's just like all like like i said complete lack of restraint it's just all or nothing all the fucking time yeah not not for me man (laughs) not not for me uh are you guys ready to rate this? Or do you have any yeah, to talk about? Let's rate it. Uh, the the ship design is incredible. I, I love the the teeth like on the main character's ship. Yeah, my and, like my the first... AI like with the the top of the head rotating was extremely cool. The first note the... I took for this movie was tooth ship, good ship, tooth ship, good ship, and uh, the the laser like. Like there are a lot of cool like visual conceptions here, like the the laser gun and how like the laser just like hangs in the air, kind of reminds me of like the the Tron light trails. Yeah, it, it's fucking awesome. There's a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, and if if that had been grounded to any kind of good quality writing, fuck could have been really neat. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, we're, I think I'm ready for writing. That's just I just really wanted to key into some of the well. I mean, you're examples. you're already on a roll, so true. So go on, um, go on with your writing. Yeah, man. Like, uh, you know, I've been I've been trying to rock through like all the Hugo Nebula winners for a while now. Like, there's there are there's so much good like science fiction material out there, and I think if you put someone's like quality writing like in, I'd love to see like uh like a Seth Ickerman uh directed uh like um forever war or or something like that like there's there's so many like great science fiction books that i think that they could adapt or do something with but they need to get over the vanity element they they need to get past like doing everything themselves and and like work with some other like established people in their own fields and let some writers who have experience writing do the writing so we can enjoy the compelling character behind the cool like the cool gun you know we can enjoy like the people inside the spaceship because like aliens got a cool spaceship in it like it's really dope but it also has like sigourney weaver in it like acting tremendously and you need both you really do uh like uh unless you're going the music video route unless you're going a condensed four minute route then you don't need both and it's fine but if you're if you're gonna like fucking put on your big boy pants and do a film do it right like get writers to write and uh (laughs) goddamn like like it's it's five stars for the visuals like it, it, easily like it's it's one of the coolest things i'm going to see this year, like, see for a long time i think um and i'm going to be rewatching it just for for reference for my own work because like i'm i was so inspired by it uh 
visually alone. Um, uh, you won't, you won't see any like uh, 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 teddy ships from me, but like uh, maybe I shouldn't hold. No, you know, that I attitude. I shouldn't make those promises. Promises I can't necessarily keep, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Commissions uh, are open, but yeah, commissions <laughs> are open, and I'm you know I'm open to whatever you want, whatever you want me to paint. I'm I'm well past standards at this point. I'll paint whatever for you. But but anyway, enough about me. Uh, uh, the rating I'm I'm gonna give it a, a three, and I feel like I'm being generous. But uh, once again, but like goddamn, the visuals are good, and that's what really that's what usually keeps me around. But you are right, they are overwhelmingly good, and it just after a while becomes white noise, which is a fucking shame because it shouldn't be. Like, all this should be appreciated, but appreciated in pace. Yeah, um, I'm going to... I, I will partially agree with you. Uh, where I will drastically disagree is that I don't want to see a Seth uh, Ickerman directed anything. I think that they're very talented uh, VFX artists and production designers, and I think that they can have successful careers in doing that, and they should stick to what they're good at. Writing and directing, leave that to somebody else. Don't try to do everything yourself because your visual effects are fucking incredible and you know the music is great you can't go wrong with carpenter brood ever uh i think there's a lot of very cool concept stuff here uh not so much in terms of story and uh character can't even say that it's a particularly good music video uh go watch turbo killer instead i'm gonna give it a two and a half out of five yeah, I learned uh, this week that you can't make a music video feature length. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think you can. I think this is not an example of no, it. No, I I disagree. You can make a visual album, but you can't make a single music video. Yes, with three minutes of content. Oh, a feature length I agree movie. With you. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I, I can dig it. I can. They dig it. Blood Machines is. Three to four minutes of content brought out to an hour length, and you definitely feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a perfect movie, like I said before, to test your new TV, your high end home theater rig, whatever. It's not a good (laughs) movie in itself, though. No. The visuals are great, the aesthetic is great, but it's empty aesthetic. I'm going to give it a two and a half out of five. The aesthetic, like I said, is great, which is why I give it a slight edge over the other lamb, which is just drab and bleak. But, you know, don't go into it for the story. No, absolutely not. Uh, Well, that will give Blood Machines an average of 2.7 out of five pods, and that will bring us to the end of our 2020 mid-year catch-up. I think definitely uh, still better than last year overall, uh, and I would say better than the year before, but um, I was was hoping that one of these movies would... Uh, would strike me well. I hope I'm never proven wrong, but I don't think we'll ever have a worse year than like Greta and the Perfection. <sighs> yeah, well, I like we'll I said, ever... you weren't you weren't there for Winchester, so yeah, that was um, rough. Well, uh, just just uh, as a quick retrospective uh, of the four that we watched, what what were what was y'all's favorite? Each would you say favorite would be Platform easily? Oh yeah, fuck, is that my favorite? 
Well, you got yeah. Sea Fever, The Other Lamb, and Blood Machine. Oh, no, it's the so. only one with substance. Yeah, I would... Uh, it's the only one. Only on the grounds that it has substance in it. Like, I would say, like, there's there's enough substance in The Other Lamb to, like... There's enough nourishment to survive, and that's about it. Like, pl- platform is, like, it, it's it's fast food. Like, I'm, I can live off of it for a little while, but it's not, like, substantial. Um, but it of all of them, it would, it's the meal I would choose. Yeah, like, it's, I, it's, that's the feast I would eat. That was the first one we watched, and I... It's bummed would, out and it's bitter of a taste of it I, in my mouth. I would not. I would not have expected that to be my favorite. No, at the me end, neither. It's but, a weird uh, realization. Yeah, I'm it's. Uh, no, that's that one is that one is probably the best out of the four. It has the most going for it because um, the others definitely left something of, to be desired. Of all of them, though, I probably still recommend uh, Blood Machines the most, just for the visuals. But, yeah, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe I think just I watch still, the third act. I think I would still just say... Or the trailer. The trailer's really cool for you know, Blood Machines. I mean, I'll say, just go watch Turbo to Killer. Yeah. benefit, you know, I think splitting it up into chunks actually does it a bit of a positive. Because yes. you can watch a little bit and then fuck off and do something else. Honestly, I think that might be the, the way to do it. Like, if you're going to watch Blood Machines, don't do it all back to back. Just, like take breaks in between <laughs> maybe that way you'll avoid some of the uh the the fatigue uh the the uh the bombardment of of visuals um but anyway next week we're moving back to our regular format of just one film per episode and next week it's ben's choice and ben we're you're we're watching stuck is that yes. right uh so this is the same director as uh, From Beyond and Reanimator, the late Stuart Gordon, Stuart Gordon uh, who king. recently left us. Uh, but it's one of his late period films, and I think it's an extremely underrated film and a very unique film. And I'm interested in seeing your guys' opinion on it. It's following in my suit of picking offbeat movies. I promise at some point I'll pick a normal movie, but it's not this week. As hey long man. as it's one that doesn't, like, freak me out as much as uh, <laughs> uh, fucking Greaseman or whatever. Like, that, that oh, film the, is still, like, I'm still going back oh, to it. Oh, man, a horror movie freaking you out. Well, Ooh. no, no, but, like, there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference between scared and feeling like you're trapped inside a film. Like, I'm never gonna leave, like, that, that movie. That's honestly why I picked Greasy Strangler, I, I though, hate you. because I saw I it and I was in that same state where, like, love it or hate it, you can't escape it. Yeah, you really you have can't. strong. You're gonna have strong feelings about it for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, but asked. this one, I think you guys will. I have won't be mad that I watched it. Quite a lot to say. I about love it. So. I love Stuart Gordon, so I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't want to be mad after I watched it. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to regret watching it. That's all. That's all I. That's all I hope. I hope out there. Well, yeah. tune back next week to find out if Cleveland is mad about uh, stuck. <laughs> Keep you in suspense. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we have we have gone a little bit long, so I'm just going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, if you like the show, 
It would be great if you would leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That would uh, be very helpful to us. And also share an episode that you like with your friends. Spread the word. Uh, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and on Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod where you will find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at Deep State Ozzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And I'm occasionally tweeting for Lidark Studio as we continue to push out the next update for our lovely, lovely game. It stares back. Super spooky, super fun, super strategic. Um, uh, in early access, come <laughs> check us out. Uh, super strategic. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't plan that, but um, uh, as you can tell. But uh, what we did plan was uh, how great our game was, and we put a lot of thought into that. Um <laughs> Uh, I promise. Uh, go check us out. Uh, like I said, in early access on Steam. And uh, you can also check out the rest of my work on ArtStation if you search Cleveland Mosier. Uh, and uh, hit me up if you like like what I paint and you want me to paint something for you. I, uh, I do commissions. And they're open as of recording. Well, thank you for sticking with us. We're halfway through 2020 and it fucking sucks. But, uh... Maybe it won't get worse. This episode is brought to you by... Oh, no. Wait, what are you clicking? <laughs>